0: Chapter 25 of Hagar's Daughter A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Mercier. Hagar's Daughter A Story of Southern Caste Prejudice. By Pauline Hopkins. Chapter 25 as the day grew older the excitement increased in the city over the murder of elise bradford the circumstances surrounding the victim as given out in the second editions of the press the mysterious disappearance of the old scrubwoman, and the high social and official position of the accused gave rise to all sorts of sensational rumors very queer affair said one man to another nodding significantly a good deal behind it all of course young men will be young men you can't put an old head on young shoulders he added, repeating the trite sayings as if they were original with himself. "'Hm, yes, ugly facts, though, the wine-glasses especially. I take it the old negress would be an important witness in the case.' "'Yes. What about the wine-glasses? I haven't read the paper very carefully, just sketched it.' "'Why, it seems they must have had wine together, and he put prussic acid in her glass. But he denies it. He says he gave her a glass of wine because she seemed faint, but he took none himself.' in short he cannot explain the presence of the second glass the odd thing about it is his walking out and leaving the body there if he did it with no attempt at concealment you don't say so by jove what did he expect and he claims to be innocent yes but of course he'd do that i suppose his lawyers will claim that it was suicide fact is he must have found himself in a mess and took this method of getting clear these young bloods are as bad as the worst when you corner them it must have been that way and then again what he says may be true somehow from what one hears of him he is incapable of a crime like this he is called a man of spotless honour well perhaps except where there's a woman in the case we are men ourselves and we know the other nodded in acquiescence will badger and carol west met in the corridor of the jail one just coming from a conference with the prisoner the other seeking an interview Kind-hearted Badger was feeling very much cast down over his friend's predicament. "'Think he did it, Badger?' asked West after they had exchanged greetings. "'No more than you or I,' was the decisive answer. "'I would not believe the blackest evidence against his bare word. I know the man.' "'I'm with you, but well confound the jade, I say, to get Sumner in this fix. "'Of course there's another man. "'Who is he? Have you any idea?' Badger shook his head and sighed the examination is tomorrow at ten try and be there west i will sure the madison's awfully cut up over this affair she was almost in hysterics when i stopped to talk it over the major isn't himself either no wonder well we shan't know anything positive until after the hearing so long the friends separated shortly after noon jewel arrived at the jail the interview between her and cuthbert was long and painful but both were happier than they had been for many weeks sumner told Jewel the facts of his intimacy with aurelia blaming himself greatly for all the trouble that had followed his first deception i should have been frank with you Jewel, and all would have been well Jewel's gentle heart was at last at rest perfect confidence was established between the reunited lovers as she rose to go he said it may go hard with me to-morrow at the examination indeed i know it will there will be difficult work ahead for my attorneys so many things have happened to separate us jewel that i dread the future the tears stood in her eyes she turned her head to hide them dare i express my selfish hopes my wishes for answer she threw himself into his arms again and as he held her thus he whispered his request with an eager look upon his face she blushed violently hesitated then drawing herself up proudly said i will do as you wish to-morrow morning then at eight i shall be waiting i will not fail you was her low reply as snatching her hand hastily from his detaining clasp she turned to accompany the officer from the cell as she passed through the office she asked the captain for the address of the chief of the secret service you mean mr henson i take it miss if he is the celebrated detective he is the very one well miss it's number blank pennsylvania avenue but he takes no outside cases his government duties are all that he finds time for still i will call on him the man bowed and she passed on months ago she remembered hearing her father speak of the great powers of this detective why it had lingered in her mind she knew not but now a hidden force impelled her to seek his aid she shrank from nothing that might benefit her lover shrink was that like it the proud flush on the soft cheek the warm light in her eyes her heart throbbed fast in the excess of happiness it was to know that he was true that all misunderstandings were buried specters and that she she alone held his heart let the world do its worst she could repay by showing every trust in him after tomorrow she would have the right to stand beside him though all the world should frown her thoughts did not go beyond the present he would be proved innocent she was sure money could do anything and there would be no sparing of any moment to clear him the herdic seemed to creep over the space between the station and the detective's chambers her very heart seemed on fire under intense suppressed excitement and the emotion that surged beneath her calm conventional exterior number blank pennsylvania avenue was a large brick building where lawyers congregated Jewel alighted from the herdic, leaving venus in it mr henson's office was on the second floor she paused before a door upon the glass panels of which appeared the letters j henson detective she opened the door and entered there were a number of clerks in the room busily writing one elderly man near the door was in charge yes mr henson was in and would no doubt see the lady if she could wait a while he said in reply to jules inquiry placing a chair for her he took her card and disappeared behind a door marked private Presently he returned, saying that if she would come with him, Mr. Henson would receive her. The great detective was seated at his desk, writing. He did not look up as she entered, but said, "'Be seated, madam. I will give you my attention in one moment.' Jewel saw a well-preserved man of sixty-odd years, middle-height, and rather broad, but not fleshy. His thick iron-grey hair covered his head fully and curled in masses over a broad forehead. He was well and carefully dressed presently he looked up from his work and glanced in her direction then she saw that he had expressive dark eyes and a pleasant face which might have been handsome in youth but for a long livid scar that crossed his face diagonally a sabre might have made that deep dangerous cut the light in the room was faint and jewel did not perceive the pallor that spread over the man's face as he gazed at her the words he was about to utter died away unsaid his chest heaved an instant in a convulsive movement which he controlled by a violent effort There was silence as the man and girl gazed at each other, mutually attracted by a hidden affinity. It was but a second that the pause endured. You wish to speak with me, miss? Then Jewel aroused herself from the spell which had held her since she encountered the piercing gaze of the quiet elderly man before her. The sound of his voice generated a feeling of relief in her breast, of trust and confidence. She could not analyze the sensation of complete rest that came to her with the few words just spoken i wish to speak with you she replied tremulously then recovering herself when i say that i am deeply interested in the murder that has just been committed and that mr sumner is my dearest friend you will know what i want i understand miss bowen he said glancing at the card in his hand i seldom take cases outside of the government still i will hear what you have to tell me i think this may be an exception to my rule He motioned her to the chair beside him, and then placed a notebook on the desk before him. "'Mr. Sumner is innocent,' said the girl in a trembling voice. "'He will have able counsel, I know, but I shall feel better if you will take charge. I have heard so much of your skill and wonderful powers of discernment that no one else could satisfy me.' The man looked at the beautiful girl before him with something akin to worship in his eyes when he spoke again his voice had taken on an added softness his words seemed to carry a caress hidden beneath their commonplace utterance thank you i am greatly interested even the newspaper accounts bear evidence that this is a remarkable case and there is generally a good deal hidden behind what they give out now tell me all you know of the matter calmed by his gentle tones Jewel gave a brief account of the affair as told her by sumner when she ceased speaking mr henson who had listened with downcast eyes and unmoved countenance said it is a curious case very there seems no clue but if i mistake not you have suspicions of some one his eyes rested on her face in a peculiarly impressive manner why do you think so i trace it in the tones of your voice "'Now tell me the name of the person you suspect, and why.' "'The girl hesitated, then said in a low tone, "'General Benson.' "'Ah!' "'It was but a breath, but it spoke volumes. "'And have you mentioned this to anyone?' "'Only to Mr. Sumner, but he will not entertain the thought. "'He thinks the idea absurd because the general is in New York "'and can hardly know more than the bare outlines of the case as yet.' "'Just so.' but upon what do you base your thought oh mr henson and she clasped her hands and raised her wonderful beseeching gray eyes to his face i cannot tell there is a feeling of conviction that he knows all about the crime if he is not the assassin there has been an adverse fate at work since general benson crossed my path there has been a train of unfortunate circumstances attending our whole acquaintance it is absurd to suspect him i know but i cannot help it the detective looked at her again with the immovable expression peculiar to him your woman's intuition warns you is that it she bowed her head in acquiescence and i have confidence in intuitive deductions he muttered then aloud my dear child gentlemen like general benson sometimes do queer things under pressure of circumstances you may be right i will see mr sumner he will probably be more explicit with me than he could be with you I will do my best for you. In fact, I shall put all my powers into my work, for it is an uncommon riddle you have set me to solve. As she rose to go, she asked his terms. He named a fair price. But if you succeed in clearing him, and I know that you will, Mr. Henson, you shall receive a princely reward. Jewel laid her check for a goodly retainer upon the desk before him. Henson looked and tapped the desk with his pencil, but did not notice the check. Then he rose, touched a bell, and accompanied his fair client to the door. Before nine o'clock on Tuesday morning, attended by her maid with the jail officials for witnesses, Jewel Bowen became the wife of the suspected murderer Cuthbert Sumner. To be continued. End of chapter twenty-five. Recording by Emma Mercier.